With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. The Volume. Hi, everybody. Welcome in. I sent Jason Timpf from The Volume Hoops tonight to the Summer League along with some other people. Liv Moods was there. Nerd Sesh was there. Uh, I believe, was Jenkins and Jones there? Some of the guys were. We sent them to the Summer League. They'll be reporting back podcasts tonight and tomorrow on the Summer League. So I'm going to let Jason and I discuss it for about 25 minutes. My takeaway on Wemby, he was very nervous in the opener. Totally expected. We've seen pros. Greg Norman at the Masters. We've seen Alex Rodriguez deal with anxiety in a big baseball series. You know, we've seen we've seen quarterbacks. You know, Tom Brady didn't have a first quarter touchdown in the Super Bowls he was in until maybe his last one or second to last one or did he ever? Like there's a feeling out process to sports and especially in the biggest games and for Wemby who'd already played well against men in Europe, he's a big time talent. But I thought he was nervous. I, I thought, come to this country, the summer league, the expectations. And when you get nervous, you get drained and you get tired. So, I mean, the kid's 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid. And so, we've you know, as I watched some of the reactions, when I watched him play, I'm like, he looked a little tired. He looked a little drained. He looked a little apprehensive. Um, he's not a great shooter yet. But then what did he look like in game two? Uh, yeah, formidable. The nerves are gone. They put him in better situations to score, and he's going to be just fine. There'll be a weight issue. All these bigs come in, the young ones. They need weight. They need strength. He'll be fine. So I'll have more about that in five minutes with Jason Temp. So I went to the UFC card in Las Vegas on Saturday night. I go to. I try to go to at least one, usually two. I think I'm going to another one in Salt Lake City here in a, a couple weeks. Uh, and then I buy six or seven UFC cards. Daniel Cormier is part of the volume. So when I got out of college, I got a job in Las Vegas and boxing was very big and UFC did not exist. In fact, the first time I'd seen UFC was in San Francisco over the weekend with friends. And uh, it was very raw. You know, they were eye gouging and kneeing. And it was it was just it was ugly. And then Dana White comes in in the Fatitas and they clean it up uh, because you want to get major advertisers. There has to be a regulated level of violence, right? Like the NFL has. Um, but to get advertisers, which Dana and the Fertitas did, they had to kind of clean up some of the stuff. And they've done it. It's still two very aggressive men or women fighting. There's going to be blood sometimes. Sometimes there's very quick knockouts. I've always argued UFC is much safer than boxing because the knockouts are cleaner and earlier. If you hit a guy, you hit a person, knock him out, it's fast. Two of the fights Saturday night, over within 40 seconds. But 
one of the really brilliant things, every time I go to a UFC event, I'm always struck by the win for the consumers. I loved boxing. I covered Hagler and Hearns and Young Tyson and Sugar Ray Leonard. Best fight I ever went to was Iran Barkley and Nigel Ben. I think it was Bally's. It was a slugfest. But I always felt as a consumer, it always left me wanting more. Promoters got rich and the occasional heavyweight fighter did. But so many fights I wanted to see were never scheduled, never made. The amount of content, the amount of quality and action you get on Saturday nights with the UFC, it is astounding. It's, it's, I went with friends. Uh, the fight started at 3. We got into the arena by 5.15. We sat in the lounge early, had a couple cocktails, went out there. From 5.15 to like 10, it was 10, 10, 15. It was nonstop. Little breaks in between. You see some, some celebrities. But just the quality of the depth of quality fights. It was just remarkable. And it's so hard to keep sports fans engaged. Baseball, by the way, has done a good job this year. They've sped the game up. Why? Shorter game, more action, right? That's why in Hollywood, three-hour movies become two hours and nine minutes. A higher percentage of the movie has action. You don't want long lulls in the action. And it's like I'm sitting there watching UFC, and I took friends who'd never been to a UFC fight, three friends from Los Angeles. And as we're walking out, they're like, that's one of the greatest nights I've ever had involved with sports. And these were jockey people. The staff is amazing with UFC, the security. It's really seamless, really just a well-oiled machine. But I'm like, this is why boxing died. And we were talking about that driving back to the hotel. I'm like, this is exactly why boxing died. Uh, boxing could give you an occasional great performance, but it was just, it was sporadic. It was inconsistent. And I'll always be a fan of the UFC because I like fights, but it's a bit of a marvel um, how well constructed it is. And the winner, not just the fighters, the fans pay their money and just get four. If you want to get there at three till 10, you get seven hours of unbelievable content. And I'm, I'm as a sportscaster, I'm blown away by it. I mean, you look at all the new sports we've had in 30, 40 years. Like, what's the one? NFL, NBA, baseball, MLS, UFC. It is no coincidence. It's not surprising if you go to the events. It is a machine, and it is wildly, wildly entertaining. Summer is heating up, and so is pro baseball. You can certainly watch your favorite baseball team on television, but there is nothing like being at the ballpark to watch your favorite team. For last minute, amazing deals to see your favorite baseball team live. Check out Game Time, the fastest growing ticket app in the United States. And it doesn't stop in sports. July means huge summer concerts and huge comedy shows all over the country. And Game Time is the place. They have all your tickets. Download the Game Time app and the redeem code Colin. That's me, C-O-L-I-N, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. And with it, you get 20 bucks off. 20 bucks. No matter where you live, wherever. Go out and have some fun this week. Download Game Time today. It's so easy. Last-minute tickets. 
concert, Major League Baseball, lowest prices, guaranteed. All right, we sent him to the Summer League, and as usual, he crushed it. Jason Timpf hoops tonight. I thought Wemby's um, first performance was a lot of jitters. Um, I mean, the idea at 19 of going into a foreign country uh, and and be the star attraction against, um, you know, guys who are literally trying to make the league and are fighting for their survival and roster spot. You know, he knows he's already going to make the team. So I thought it was kind of predictable that he would struggle. It was choppy. But I got to tell you, though, when I watched them today, um, you know, his size is just so impactful. There's just there's just no way around it. He's gonna he's gonna have 25 point nights. Um, so let's let's start with um, the difference you saw, Jason. Game one, game two. What jumped out to you? This is so funny to me. That news cycle was objectively hilarious. It's like, okay, here's this guy who already has been good against pros in France who already was great against the G League Ignite team, like destroyed them in two games in America a few months back in like one game in Summer League and everyone was rewriting whether or not this prospect was worth all of the hype. And then big shock, he comes out with 27 and 12 with three blocks today. <laughs> the big thing that stood out to me was just process. Like, honestly, I would I, I looked over at Carson and Logan, our nerd sesh guys right before the game, and I'm like, I wonder if they're going to play basketball or just throw him the bat or just throw him the ball and let him play ISO pickup ball. And that's what they did in that first game for several possessions. He's just standing on the wing dribbling like he's Kevin Durant against Kai Jones. And that's literally the hardest way to play basketball. And, you know, I kind of did a little thing on my show today. Every young player has a floor and a ceiling and their floor is mainly based on what they're already great at. And then their ceiling is based on whether or not they can address their weaknesses. He has things that he's great at. He's the greatest combination of height and length and coordination of any center that we've ever seen. He's already got great defensive instincts and a good amount of offensive polish. So if you play easy basketball with him, he will excel. There was a sequence at the end of this game where he set a ball screen. There was a switch. He flashed to the middle of the floor. They threw him the ball and he just quick shot a little turnaround fadeaway over his right shoulder to make it to get it back to four. Very next possession. Guy drives along the left side. The rim protector gets occupied. He just relocates to the left wing and takes a wide open catch and shoot three and he makes it to get it back to one. I'm like, this is what it's going to look like in San Antonio. Real basketball where he has an opportunity to demonstrate what he's great at. And I'm not surprised at all that he popped in that setting. I I thought all of the reaction to game one was really misplaced, disrespectful to what he's already accomplished as a pro. And just it was predictable that he would bounce back the way he did today. Yeah, in in the game one and and game two, there was a moment where somebody ripped the ball out of his hands. Um, And I do think like if somebody said to me, like, what's the one glaring weakness? I would say weakness. (laughs) He's 19. Like, you know, guys, are you know, he put the ball up a couple of times and guys just grabbed it and pulled it out of his hands. And it's like, yeah, you can tell. He, you know, when you start looking at these veteran NBA guys, they look like they've been in a professional weight room for seven years. Like, it's just different definition. So if you told me, like, I could see them building a schedule and saying, and I thought, I said this with OKC, they should do it for Chet Holmgren. 58 games, just take some road trips off. Stay home, lift weights for four days instead of that two-team road trip to say, you know, Houston, Orlando, stay home. Eat. Work out. Try to make as many home games as you can, right? 
and have a limited road schedule. Not that you don't need to go on the road, but there'll be times I just want him to stay home, sleep, eat, lift, and play 58 games. And I feel that way with Wemby. It's like, obviously, he has um, his motors running. I mean, when you, you know, when you were 19... You could polish off two turkey sandwiches, glass of milk, two cookies. Hour later, you're starving, right? <laughs> like, that's who he is. He's 19. He's going to burn 7,000 calories. And it's like, the only thing I look at, I think he just needs to get stronger. He just needs, he needs just nights off. Because, you know, I've talked to NBA guys about this. You start burning calories when you're 19, 20, 21, 22. It's hard to keep weight on. If you're playing 40 a night in this, because these guys, a lot of these guys, Jason, Especially college guys. They didn't play any defense in college. You're, you you know, matchup zones and you kind of guard a space. It's the first time you've had to guard a guy. So, like, it is a whole different ballgame. So, I just think, I think he's just going to get a little bit stronger. But there were a couple, when he did those back-to-back dunks, there are these moments of, like, he's just going to get some. Like, there's, you can, you know when a player's great? When you perfectly defend them and they score. Like, length is undefeated like it just wins all the time if durant's six eight he's not the same player he's just really really good so um and i thought i i will tell you this he's a really gracious kid like i think he's really grateful for it and i think it matters like i don't see any i think just really you know very grateful for it i don't know i like i think he's got the perfect you know i'm gonna throw a theory really quickly so popovich got lucky Robinson, Duncan, like the nicest guys in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> then he gets Kawhi, who's difficult, right? And he leaves and he says to himself, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Wemby has got an old school, grateful personality a little bit, a little old school, right? Um, and, and the foreign players, as we've discussed, come into the country and they're very appreciative. It's new. All visitors are more polite, right? You go overseas. I do. We're more polite. I think he's been waiting for the next, you know, just happens to be an international player. I, I think they're going to do really well. I, I think this is going to be Popovich's third run to you. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, the, the beauty of having a personality like that at a position like that, if you think about Duncan, is it makes it really easy to bring different types of volatile ball handlers around him. Because not only is he unassuming, he's your foundational piece. He's the guy that you build your entire defense around. On offense, he's the guy that's going to pick and pop to the top of the to the key or to beat switches with smaller guys. He'll bury them in the post. But he actually needs a primary ball handler. And so when you have a guy like that who also has a great attitude, it's going to make it really easy to find players that want to play with him. I really like the point you made about putting on weight because the it, I've never thought of it, thought about it that way in terms of cutting back his playing time as a vehicle with which to put on muscle because it is so difficult to maintain weight, oh. let alone gain weight during a basketball season. Every year I'd play, I'd go into the season at like 227, 229, and I'd come out of the season like 217, 219. Because like you just, you're, all you're doing is playing and playing and sweating and playing and working out and going to class. And like you just don't ever have an opportunity to do what it takes to keep the weight on until you get to the off season. So I, I like that idea of kind of like minimizing his workload as an opportunity to put on weight and to help avoid injuries. But, uh, you know, it's funny because 
the the ceiling with him is completely ridiculous, right? The 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 crazy high level shot making, the one legged three point shot that he takes from the top of the key that he actually <laughs> made quite a bit when he was in Europe. The, the all the stuff that he can do defensively, but overnight he's going to be really good in ways that impact winning in terms of rim protection. He closed out a ton of possessions at the end of that game, just snatching defensive rebounds over the top of everybody, getting to the foul line. He shot twelve free throws tonight just because when he reaches to shoot over the top of people. They go for the ball and they get forearm because they're just not close to where right. he is, right? But but here's the thing. He's not going to win rookie of the year, most likely, because yeah. it's going to be someone like Scoot Henderson, someone that's going to put up a ton of numbers, that's going to pop earlier in their career with the way that their skill set goes. He's going to be the kind of guy that all year long people are going to be looking for opportunities to minimize what he's doing. This is the dude that five to 10 years from now has the potential to be both the best offensive player in the league and the best defensive player in the league. That is the ultimate ceiling there, but that will take time. He's not someone that's necessarily going to pop statistically early on. And so I hope people, I hope people treat him with that level of fairness, but as far as Popovich goes, and I I don't know if you saw, there's kind of a caveat there where like he may not actually stay on and coach that whole time. Yeah because he's also the president of basketball operations. So they might work something out where they phase him out, but then maybe he can pick the successor at that point. But because of his specific personality and his skill set, they're going to be able to find pieces to surround him with. People are going to want to play with this guy. I, I think I think the Spurs are going to be relevant for the next decade. Well, they did a study years ago. I think it was the University of Copenhagen. And they had people work out 90 minutes a day and 30 minutes a day. And what they found is the people that worked out only 30 minutes a day lost more weight. How? Because they weren't as tired. They would take the steps. They wouldn't nap later. They wouldn't eat as much. So what happens is think about, so, so moderate exercise is actually can be very, very healthy, especially as you age. Think Mm -hmm. about two and a half hours of an NBA game. Okay. You burn 9,000 calories. Wemby gets off the court, power shake sleeps on the plane. You, you, (laughs) so you think to yourself, just, just think about what that, what that physical beating does to you. It really eliminates the chance to put weight on because you're resting constantly. You're exhausted. And instead of, you know, like I always say this about college guys, they play 36 games, regional travel, 82 national. They're sleeping all day. They're just, and it's just like, well, they can't put weight on. Well, they play, they do smoothies, and they fall asleep. Like there's, there's no, they're not eating full meals. They're and so I, I think it's a real thing. And also Giannis Embiid early, when you're seven two, you're thin. It's Ralph Sampson. Uh, some guys have never been able to put weight on. Ben Simmons is still, you know, just like you wish he put, you know, at times. Um, so I think with Wemby, it's just like. I think you put him on a game limit, keep him home sometimes, double down on stuff, give him more rest, give him an opportunity. You know, there's nothing wrong with just sitting home, card loading, watching the game, breaking down film. Okay, so I want to go to this. Um, so the uh, um, it, it's really been something, and I like Damian Lillard a lot, but he's not a villain, and he'll play hard anywhere he goes. I do bristle, and I just don't think it's good for the NBA. I bristle at I'm only going to play at Miami because wherever Dame goes, he's going to be the first or second best player. And, um, you know, if he went to Philadelphia and he was great, it's not like he wouldn't play hard. 
Um, and I do think it's good for the league when franchises get the most they can when they lose a star. It creates some sort of competitive balance. You don't want people like stars leaving and they go into the tank. You want stars leaving and the other team get it to get somewhat fortified so they remain viable. So where do you fall? I mean, again, I'm an NBA guy. I have always understood the NBA and international soccer are star leagues. They're not driven by coach. coaches. You think... I mean, people say the NBA just runs through coaches. Go watch international soccer. Look at our United States men's national team. We're just running through coaches. <laughs> it's it's star-driven. One player can tip the scale. I mean, if, if Mahomes had a bad O-line or a bad coach, he'd be a 500 quarterback. Like, you need even a great quarterback. Basketball, LeBron was going to get to the playoffs regardless of who the teammates were. I just don't love the optics of it for Dame in the league. How, what say you? The optics are awful, and I really blame the agents for this because it's like everyone knows Dame wants to go to Miami, and so do the other 28 teams. So like making a phone call and being like, by the way, he's not going to show up to training camp. All these guys know Dame. They know he's a professional. They know he'd show up to camp. It's like the Kawhi Leonard thing in 2019. Exact same situation. I'm going to LA. Reports coming out that he might not report to training camp, and then Toronto bravely steps in and takes a risk. And they end up getting him and winning a championship. Kawhi played some of his best basketball for Toronto. Actually, I did a whole thing today. I, I really want the Oklahoma City Thunder to put their name in the Dame, uh, the Dame hat. I'm not sure if you saw it, but Woj reported yesterday. They have 35 draft picks in the next seven years. 15 first round draft picks. I worked it out. They'd have to wait a couple months because of some CBA rules, but they can basically take uh, a bunch of their a salary filler that they picked up in random deals this summer, not have to send out a single young player, put you know four or five of those draft picks on the table and go get Dame and run out Damian Lillard, Shea Gilders-Alexander, Lou Dort with Jalen Williams and Chet Holmgren and instantly be one of the most talented teams in the league. I'd love to see something like that. But the point is, is all these teams already know. Like OKC knows. Dame wants to be in Miami. So it's a risk. We would have to bring Dame in and effectively be like, hey, man, we're a good organization. Let us show you how we do things around here. Give us an opportunity to show you how we do things. We can help you reach your basketball ceiling. That's what Toronto did with Kawhi. That's always been the game. The problem I have with it is the agents have gotten involved and they've made it nasty. Now you're throwing out these empty threats that no one believes that makes Dame look like he's a jerk when he's not. And as far as the whole asking for a trade thing, it, even Portland knew when Dame signed that extension that he was likely going to sign uh, to ask for a trade. These players have to take the financial security. You're a free agent. You're committed to that team at least for the next year or two, but you're not going to pass on five years. You're not going to. It, you're because you you take a two year deal, you land awkwardly and tear your ACL. That can cost you a hundred million dollars. So like they get, these guys have to take the money. They uh, to as long as they're requesting the trade in the off season and not in the middle of the season the way Kyrie did. I don't really have a, a problem with it, but it looks really bad with the agents. And honestly, Colin, I don't know what the answer is because. The agents are doing their jobs, so to speak, by mucking things up and making it nasty. And they're, 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 they're obligated to their clients to try to get them where they need to go. The NBA doesn't have any leverage over those guys. I don't know how they can stop it, but it, it definitely is a bad look. I'm okay with players requesting trades. I'm okay with them saying they want to go to one place. There's a risk. Another team might jump in and trade for you anyway, but there's no doubt that this, that this looks bad. It's going to start turning off regional fan bases. It's going to start hurting that regional television audience. And I don't think it's good for the long-term health of the league, even if it's mor morally correct, if that makes sense. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. 
Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Thank you to our friends at Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the 2024 Colin Coward Show. Panini America delivers a premier collecting experience with the most sought-after NFL, NBA, FIFA, and WNBA trading cards. Whether you're chasing rookie sensations or collecting timeless legends, Panini's got it. Panini America is also breaking new ground in NIL, featuring some of the biggest names in college sports. And now newly minted first-round picks like number one overall Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and more. If you're into cutting-edge digital collectibles, don't miss Panini's NFT platform at nft.paniniamerica.net with some of their first opportunities to collect this year's rookie class. Whether you're a collector of physical cards or a digital enthusiast, Panini has you covered. Check out their most popular brands like Prism, Select, Donruss, and more, including Panini Instant Cards celebrating the biggest sports moments on cards right after they happen such as Draft Night Instance. Visit PaniniAmerica.net or download the Panini Direct app today. Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the Colin Cowherd Show. Pivot back to the Summer League. Scoot Henderson got hurt in Game 1. Um, he's he's going to be really good. You know, we I've always um, tried to defend... NBA GMs and scouts, you have sometimes um, it's almost though the international players now are easier to scout than college players because at least they play against men. So it's like it's easier. It feels like the international guys in the last four or five years, there's been like no major whiffs like you're yeah, if they can score against men, they can score in the college game. You watch a Big Ten player and you're like, well, he's scoring against a non NBA player. Uh, I mean, Jaden Ivey, to me, you could see he was dynamic. You're like, yeah, that's going to work in the NBA. He's going to be a good player. So in the brief time you saw Scoot Henderson, your interpretation of what you saw. Spitting image of Russell Westbrook. He's built like a truck. He's way stronger even than Russ was at that phase of his career. The, the rim pressure is insane when he just gets going in, in transition. You can see the entire defense kind of collapse around the basket. He's especially good at hitting guys out of the dunker spot. That's a rust thing. You got to put him with a big man that can catch and finish around the basket. He actually did hit some nice pull-up jump shots early in the game, but there is a little bit of that lack of the changeup. And that's always going to be the thing that kind of that could derail him. Again, Scoot has a chance to be the guy that breaks the mold, but he has to pay attention to the roadmap where some of his contemporaries 
went off the tracks. It's you've got to have a change up. You can't play the same style all the time. You have to commit to the defensive end of the floor. He is capable of being an outstanding defensive player with his strength and his uh, and his like physical build. And then last but not least, you've got to get in the gym. Don't be that guy who, when your athleticism starts to tail off, you start to tail off because you don't have the skill set to make up for it. You know, like I I really was, his competitiveness popped when I was watching him. You can see the way he interacts with his teammates, the way he interacts with the people he's competing against. He's John at the other team. He's got the fire. He's got the competitiveness, but he has to follow that roadmap because as we've said, that's a specific archetype of player that has had really hot starts and then flared out flamed out pretty consistently, and I don't want that to happen for him. That's something you pointed out. It's really smart, and it even matters in my business. I have said this before. If you're a talk radio host, you can't just be a flamethrower. You've got to be at sometimes funny. Sometimes you've got to be inquisitive, curious. Um, Sometimes you can throw a fastball. Sometimes you have to be self-deprecating. And I I, I think John Wall, to me, had one speed. Like it was just out of control and and Westbrook at times kind of one speed. And I think I really do think with Scoot, I see a little bit of the same thing. Now, some of it is he can develop that, but I think it's really hard when you're very successful at something and you blow past everybody for people to say, hey, slow down. We want you to pay with, play with more pacing. It's like Tyson. Like, why do I need a jab? I'm knocking everybody out in the second round. Like, what? what's a jab for? So I think what happens to Dine, and, and we've seen this pattern, that they dominate people. And it's like the running quarterback, high school, college. He runs around. First two years in the NFL, Josh Allen runs around. And then all of a sudden he gets hit. And it's like, oh, I got to stay in the pocket. And so I think what Scoot is so dynamic, you know, sometimes your gift is your curse, that he's so dynamic that it's, Hopefully, he's super coachable. And I think Westbrook, I'm not saying he's not coachable, but nobody could stay in front of Russ for 10 years. Like, you see why, I mean, it's not a shock that many of the great shooters are not super twitchy and fast because at some point, pulling up was what they, that's how they scored, right? Like, for you, you, you're obviously a very athletic guy. But if I would have told you, if I'd have added eight inches to your vertical, your jumper wouldn't be as good. <laughs> You'd be like, guys, I'm going to the basket again. And also, there's an alpha to scoring at the rim that is just like adrenaline. So I, I hope he develops it. But I think it's a really good point by you that it, it is hard when you succeed at something and these dynamic guards with no hand check can't stand in front of them at all. Michael Jordan could not have stayed in front of any of these guys. None of them. So um, was there anybody else in summer league that you looked at and went, Oh, that's interesting. So a, a couple things. Brandon Miller had some moments. Uh, the polish is there. That Charlotte Summer League roster played some of the ugliest basketball I've ever seen. So I want to see him play in, in a different type of environment. Both the Thompson twins really popped with their playmaking. They were both in roles where they were playing with a lot of other ball handlers. So they didn't get much opportunity to show what they can do. I thought uh, uh, the most impressive guy I saw this weekend was Jabari Smith Jr. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but last year there was some hype over whether or not Jabari Smith was going to go first. Now, Paolo went number one and He's been great, obviously. Chet went number two. Chet looked awesome on Saturday, by the way. But um, Jabari Smith Jr. went number three. And a big reason why is he could not dribble to save his life. And he couldn't make a shot anywhere outside of a catch-and-shoot situation. 
He destroyed the Pistons today and hit that game winner in the game on Friday. He hit a, he had 38 points, hit a bunch of pull-up jump shots. He was talking shit to James Wiseman and, and just putting on a show in front of the crowd. It's been the most remarkable improvement in scoring polish from a player I've seen in one year in my entire time covering basketball. I can't believe it. He was literally the most uncomfortable guy last year that I saw in Vegas. He's been the most comfortable guy on the floor this season. He's six foot ten with the seven one wingspan, projects to be an excellent defensive player. He's put on a ton of muscle. He was bullying Jaden Ivey today. He's got all the pull-up jump shot stuff going. Houston is going to be a really interesting team this year because they brought in some veteran presences with Fred Van Vliet. You're going to have Jalen Green there, Dylan Brooks there. Between Dylan Brooks and Jabari Smith and their ability to guard, Houston like overnight is going to become a really entertaining team to watch. But Jabari Smith Jr. was by far the most impressive guy that I saw this weekend. So um, the NBA has this in-season tournament. Um, and basically what they're doing is designating Tuesday and like Friday games. Um, they want them to be more urgent and more important. So fewer players will sit out and they'll have like, it won't affect the standings. There'll be like a separate standings from as far as I can tell. Um, and if you do well in those games, you will eventually get into this December, early, mid-December tournament. Um, it, it's, I think the simpler you make things, the easier it is for sports fans. Right. Um, do you think it matters? I mean, it'd be great if you didn't have to ask players to play, but that's the that's the reality. You know, the analytics in basketball are telling you to give guys, veteran players, more time off. Do you think it's instructive? Do you think it um, benefits? Do you think it pops your takeaway on it? I'm trying really hard to keep an open mind, to be clear. But I was here. I heard your your podcast with uh, uh, with Nick Wright the other day. I listened to it on the plane, and you said something I thought was really interesting. You're like, you need two things to be successful as a uh, professional sports league. You need stars, and you need urgency. And the NFL crushes everybody because they have both. And the NBA has stars, and that allows them to overcome their lack of urgency. But the only problem, I'd say, there's a mild problem with officiating. They got to work out. There's a mild problem we were talking about with the star trade requests and some of the behavior of these agents. But the main problem is urgency. And this looks like a move in the direction away from that. And, you know, I, I, I was watching Ted Lasso this summer with my wife and uh, they, you know, I've been learning about the English Premier League as a result. Yeah. They have this thing called the FA Cup and it's like this yes. tournament that they play in the middle of their season. But there's a prestige that has been built around that tournament over many, many years. And so I don't see how that prestige exists right away over something called the FA Cup. Now there is a, or oh, the NBA Cup. Now there is a undisclosed benefit to the players, but when stars determine the outcomes of games and stars are making 50 million, I'm not sure there's a monetary value there that's going to really get people interested in competing, but I'm trying really hard to keep an open mind. At the, at the end of the day, though, if someone asked me what needed to happen with the NBA, an overhaul with officiating and then shorten the season to 66 games so that you can stretch the games out so that players aren't resting on back-to-backs, there would be an increase in viewership due to urgency and star participation. And then from there, that would make up for the, the drop in games. Games, that's the direction the league needs to go, and they're just never going to do it. And this, to me, just feels like a strange measure in that direction. Yeah, I, I, I always appreciate Adam Silver's willingness to be progressive and, and you know, move the ball ahead. Um, you know, David Stern did it on occasion, had a couple of whiffs. The dress, dress code was sort of insulting. The new ball was just a complete mess. <laughs> you may want to tell the players you're coming out with that. Um, but I've always thought, 
Um, you know, there's the old saying, the NBA thinks of it first, the NFL gets it right, and baseball makes the most money on it. The NBA always comes up with new ideas, and I totally appreciate it. Uh, and I and I do think we live in a distracted society. NBA fans are young. They're on their phones. It's a highlight culture. Always has been a bit in the NBA. So I'm not against it. I, I want to see it. I People bang on the play-in tournament, but I've kind of liked it. Miami was a play-in team that was trailing in their second play-in game. So, you know, people like to complain about new stuff. Like, I think the play-in works. I like the play-in tournament. I agree. Yeah, I like it. It's more good. It's more urgent games that I have to. I mean, those are Tuesday night games, and I'm like, the Warriors could be out, or the Heat could be out of the playoffs. So I, I am willing to give the midseason tournament, um, um, you know, and it's not really midseason. That's kind of the name, but I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. It's early season. <laughs> early season. So um, I said this that uh, there was a story this week. The Knicks had talked to the Clippers about Paul George, and they bailed on it. And I said, five years ago, they would have done it. Ten years ago, they would have done it. They would have panicked. They panicked on Carmelo. They could have traded him after the season. They did in-season. And Denver got a boatload, right? Because in-season trades, Melo's like, I want to play for the Knicks. Knicks caved. Uh, Stoudemire from Phoenix had bad knees. Everybody in the league knew it. They needed a star. Uh, that never worked out. Paul George is a really good two-way player. But Steve Ballmer, I've been told by a source in that building, is not going to extend him. Does not want to. There's no reason for you to give him a four or five year deal. I do think he would be a two or a one on that team. And and my takeaway was it's really an encouraging sign. The Knicks are a good team. They're not very good, but they're good. One smart move, they could get to very good. Two, they could be special. So let's not demand they make two in one offseason. Let's go from good to very good. Brunson's still young. A lot of their players are young. Even Julius Randle's not old. So if I there's Zion rumors, Carl Anthony Towns, if I said and they, they're very lucky, they have 11 first round picks in seven years. They have a lot of guys I like Josh Hart, RJ Barrett. I don't love. I like they're movable. They have length. Randall's contract and Brunson's contract. Jalen shrinks year to year like it's one of the better contracts in the league now. So if I said to you, Zion, Carl Anthony Towns, if there was a move to be made, Jason, what would you do? Again, it can't just be a star. It has to be the right star. I mean, this is the problem that Dallas could find themselves running into. We need to get a star. We need to get a star. Okay, we got Kyrie. Well, everything hinges on that now. If Kyrie has a change of heart and demands out, you're screwed because you have nothing left. And now Luke is going to want out, right? And that's the key is like you pull the trigger on a Paul George trade and he gets hurt. Everything is is messed up. So you got to wait for the right guy. I'd be keeping an eye out for like a Brandon Ingram over the course of the next couple of years. If New Orleans decides that they want to stick with Zion, but they want to re you know flip their timeline a little bit, and oh, they think Trey Murphy is going to play some of those minutes alongside Herb Jones or whatever. I'd keep an eye out for a guy like let's say OKC wants to pay all these guys, and they pay Shea, and they pay Chet, and they pay Josh Giddy, and, and and they're like ah, Jalen Williams is the guy we're going to let go. Maybe New York jumps on a guy like that. It's got to be the right guy. I like Paul George, but the best indicator of future performance is past performance, and the dude is hurt all the time. And so there's it, there's a huge risk there. And so if you put all your chips in that basket, it could backfire on you. Actually, my sneaky favorite Paul George team right now is the Cavs because I hate their whole two-guard build. I would look to flip Darius Garland for Paul George because then you're bringing in a player that kind of fits alongside that Donovan Mitchell uh, timeline. It 
kind of addresses a specific need on the roster. Max Struess kind of slots in at the two. I kind of, I really love that fit. And then Darius Garland is a foundational piece for the Clippers who have desperately needed a point guard ever since Chris Paul left. But for a team like New York, if you look at Jalen Brunson, where he's at in his career, Julius Randle clearly is the guy they'll inevitably move. You've got some solid role players. You've got a good center in Mitchell Robinson that you can build around. It just has to be the right guy. And to your point, that's a sign of competency that they're not just jumping on the next thing that comes around. They're being patient, and I do like to hear that. Jason Temp, hoops tonight. We sent him to the Summer League. Listen to his podcast. As always, my man, good seeing you. It's good to see you too, Colin. Volume. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams and I'm jacked. Alright, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW WWE and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.